Good, good, good morning to you on Fellowship Day 285. No idea why that needed three or four goods there, but it is a good morning and good morning to you. I am thinking a lot about not the physical disability that is the size of my head, but the oftentimes metaphorical one that goes along matching it. There's a story I've been reminding myself of from earlier in my career that I'll share with you. As always, I promise it's going to come to some sort of point or prompt for you to consider here. But it's one that stays with me, I dare say, following on from the last conversation we had. It haunts me a little bit, paralyzes me at times. And that is that for all of the excitement, the ideals, the societal impact that is genuinely part of the research that we're trying to do in fellowships like this, or you know, any academic will tell you the story of how their work is going to benefit society one day. Uh, alongside all of that is, I think, the far less often uttered truth of the ferocious competition that's out there and the at least partly justified competition for very limited resources. I think one of the most cutting quotes that I've ever heard that has um, become sort of branded on my insides, I think was from Henry Kissinger, who said something along the lines of the politics in academia are so fierce because the stakes are so small. And it's uh, to hear that, if you're hearing that for the first time, as I did, you may find it somewhat belittling. Certainly, if you're in academia, you'll find it somewhat belittling. I I took the stance of it being a little bit more humbling because when I heard it, I didn't have a way to articulate a lot of the the more challenging sides of playing the the academic game. And it was only then, after that, when I started to work more in entrepreneurial circles alongside academia that you really could see part of the justification for such a knife twist of a quote as the Kissinger one. That's to say that in entrepreneurship, there's a lot of people having to deal with a lot more money. I meant far more people who had direct responsibilities for employing people. I mean directly, um, more so than I did in academia, but this isn't tr me trying to make one side look more positive than the other. Um, it certainly sounds like that, the way that I've just pitched that. But cutting a much longer story short, as time went on, I found more and more parallels between the worlds that were really just dressed up in different terminologies. Academics employ researchers in their team, entrepreneurs will hire people into theirs, academics will bid for grants, entrepreneurs will pitch to investors. Uh, and all the while, there is perhaps on both sides a, a veil of job security, but it is really just as long as the money lasts and you can justify your position there. You can get kicked out of an academic job just as you can knocked off the board of directors in your company. I know there's nuance in there, but uh, stay with me while I make the simple point that there are parallels between the academic and entrepreneurial worlds that are worth 
exploring, even if you don't really care for one side or the other. You know, if you're on the opposite side of that fence, be be you an entrepreneur looking at academics or an academic looking at entrepreneurs, there are holes in that fence, ways to get from one side to the other, or even sit on the fence. This is actually, I love the unscripted part of this because this is not at all actually where I was going to shine the spotlight. But it is a worthwhile digression because those parallels have helped me manage I think one of the most mentally challenging aspects of trying to run a research team in academia, and that is, here we are five minutes in, the evergreen threat of being scooped. For you to have what you think is an amazing research idea, to plan it out, to even start to invest the time in the experiments to see if your idea plays out, if it can come to the sort of conclusion that you imagine that it will, and for it to move the needle as much as you think it will or to have a, a leap, a step change in the way that your work is progressing, all of that can be exciting, exhilarating. It can give you motivation when you're feeling at your worst and you invest, invest, invest. Until that morning when you might be scrolling through new journal articles, press releases, Twitter feeds, and there you see it before your eyes a title, a graphical abstract, a summary of everything that you thought was born in your head alone being manifest in someone else's work. Someone who's got it out there and published it and reported it before you ever could. That, in a nutshell, is being scooped. And that's just part of at least the academic lexicon. I hear it more often there than anywhere else. But again, being scooped, having your research or what you thought was your research put out there by someone else, someone having a similar or even the same idea and just throwing the punch before you ever could. That's the way that we talk about it in academia. But as I digressed earlier, that's not to say the same thing doesn't happen in entrepreneurship. God, that's, that is largely what drives intellectual property like you're trying your very best to build moats around the castle that is your intellectual property and to protect it from it being penetrated by others who who would have or reverse engineer your idea so it's this, this dejection of being scooped in academia is is not particular to that game but it's in that game that i've been reflecting on the whole idea this morning and in previous days because I remember and it clearly affected me because it stays with me more than many other experiences from my PhD days but we would have these really insightful informative challenging literature meetings on a Friday everyone would get together people would take turns of reporting interesting papers from various journals and we would come together to talk about some of those papers and, and pull apart some of the science that had been reported, trying to tie it back to first principles and use it as as a way of as a, a way of exercising uh, our intellect and reminding ourselves constantly about the first principles that build up uh, what people end up reporting in these papers. But it was on one such day that I looked at 
one of my colleagues' reports of papers that they'd pulled from the literature to discuss one Friday morning. And in one of those reports, it was my turn to see one of those paper titles, one of those graphical abstracts that looked as if it had been just picked out of my head and put onto the paper. And my shoulders went from my chin to my knees. I was just completely and utterly floored with the disappointment and the instantaneous depression of seeing that someone else had gone and done it. And how this sort of whimsically ties back to what seemed like a tangent talking about academic ego was it, it was really my growing academic ego that made me naive enough to think that the idea that I had, that the idea that I thought I had time to explore and take my time over, it was so good as for others not to even conceive of it. But here it was before me, the, the evidence that I needed to see that the idea was okay, the idea was good, but someone else out there could easily conceive of it and someone else out there pulled the trigger before you could, someone else got off their arse, went into the lab and did it all and then has put it out there. Someone else scooped you and on that occasion that person scooped me. I still know this person, I've never actually said this to them but there it was and that was one of the first times it happened but it sure as hell wasn't the last and it's only over a much longer period of time that I've come to, to realise that it will always happen so long as I try to formulate or we and our team try to formulate ideas that are only one or two steps ahead of those that we might be in respectful competition with. And here then is where seeing the parallels rather than the distinctions between academia and entrepreneurship have proven to be really therapeutically beneficial at least from my experience. In academia, there's a lot of worthy discussion on open science for reproducibility. And certainly in the publications I've been a part of, there's been meticulous discussion and revision periods to make sure that if someone else of a similar training, but perhaps not expert in the field, would come along, read our paper, and read through the methods which, that we deployed we should be able to hand that paper to that person and they could confidently go into the lab and reproduce what we've done. That's good science. Where this gets a little bit controversial is in this opinion of mine, where I think that is conflated a little bit with giving away everything that makes your team expert or everything that gives your team a particular competitive edge this happens all the time it's just spoken about far less than the ideals uh, take last year's Nobel Prize in chemistry so I'm, t I'm saying this when the last year's Nobel Prize meant the 2021 Nobel Prize in chemistry awarded jointly to professors Ben List and David McMillan and I've read some wonderful historical pieces about the build up of the science that led them to be endowed with that prize and a lot of the stories are about the early, rather fierce competition between those two teams as they both sought to establish this platform science, in their case organocatalysis, that could then be applied to myriad problems. 
and it's you know in that historical context that you see in most uh, amicable reflective terms the competition as it was not the 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 respect the friendship and the recognition that is quite rightly bestowed on these teams now but there was at one time however way you slice it however way you look at open science a more entrepreneurial like competition between these teams to progress their version of a particular intellectual property through to wide access mass impact uptake by the community um, and chemical synthesis and when you put on that sort of view to times like being scooped then it becomes a little bit easier to manage that's when I found it easier to manage that I started to frame what I thought was my intellectual property in the view of it was more of an incremental idea than I thought it wasn't a massive step change it wasn't good enough to have a conversation with um, someone who could then help patent or protect the technology in some other way. It was good, but it wasn't so good as to be easy to reverse engineer. It wasn't so good as to be independently conceived by someone else at the same time who wanted to work faster than I could. And that's ultimately where the entrepreneurial community, I, I think, has been a valuable, not for my efforts to try and build a business, but actually for research efforts to bring entrepreneurial thinking into academic research and then ultimately ultimately from all of that what that has helped lead to is a reframing of how to build or identify the research problems to work on and how to build the solutions that tackle those problems that are identified the entrepreneurial type of thinking has helped me think well here's the idea but could this be replicated tomorrow how can we build up the academic version of intellectual property moats so that we can, one, provide the societal impact that we purport to all the time, but let's be honest, do so in such a way that helps protect your team in a way to be able to be the ones who deliver that value to the community and not be scooped to a point of irrelevance tomorrow when you're working on something that you think is exciting today so for you and for your team I hope that part of what you hear this morning is a challenge to you it remains a challenge to me which is why you hear me being so silent between a lot of what I'm saying this morning but be it a challenge be it controversial be it even partly offensive to you is there something in that that can help you think about the following. How can you provide the impact you promise whilst protecting your team from being scooped? How can you protect your team from being scooped and to feel the dejection of being scooped that many of us, you included, might have already felt before? That's it for today. A little bit longer than usual. I hope that reflection has been useful for you. I hope you're thinking about the technology or whatever it is you happen to be developing and how you might do that in a way that is as accessible as it is competitive. Have a great day. 
Thanks for being here, and I'll see you soon for another episode of the Read Indeed podcast. Take care. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast head over to the website where not only will you find the written blog versions of these podcasts you'll find my leadership blog series the daily thought series and information about my book on managing the imposter phenomenon we also have even more free resources and webinars linked to the youtube channel so head on over to dr-mark-read.com That's dr-mark with a c-r-e-i-d dot com. Thanks again for listening.